everyone, welcome to another episode of Opposites React. It is March 3rd, 2021, episode 58. I am Sarah and I'm here with Tyler. How are you? Good. <laughs> Short and sweet. Thank you very much. Uh, what you been up to? Not much. Uh, I got much new to talk about. You do your th- weekly thing, whatever, because whatever, I'm trying to save my breath because I got a lot of talking to do. Oh boy. Okay. I haven't done much either. i know um yeah like i've just been playing persona strikers which i talked about last week and i picked up bravely default on friday which is great but i haven't really had a chance to put much time into it but it's just really a traditional role-playing game uh turn-based and if you're into that that's what it is i'm enjoying it so far it is exactly what i wanted just want i just want to go back old school so it's great for that but other than that i have been doing Zero, I am pretty sure. So, what are you holding your uh, all your um, energy for? Well, two things I got to talk about. But uh, well, first thing is you reminded me the other day that I had to get around to watching something that I said I was going to watch on the weekend. And of course, I didn't because I forgot about it. So, over the last two days, <laughs> I have been getting through. <laughs> uh, and I thought it has. It's not. It's not a. Um, this isn't an indictment on the film's quality necessarily. It's more just about when I chose to watch it. Like I started watching this movie on Netflix in bed one night. Uh, I got maybe like 45 minutes in. I got a little tired. I'm like, okay, I want to give this movie my full attention. So I'm going to turn it off and I'll watch it again tomorrow, like during my lunch break at work or something, right? So I started watching it again. I, basically, yeah, it took me like three, at least three viewings to get through this movie just because I wasn't feeling it either time and or, for whatever reason, fatigue or just time constraints. But eventually I did get through a full viewing of uh, the movie Sucker Punch. Watch it on Netflix. And again, the reason I watched it, as I told you I was going to watch it last week, was because uh, I know it is a recommendation. Yes. Uh, obviously, going back a couple weeks ago, when we talked about uh, did the Zach whole podcast Snyder. on Zack Snyder. And Sucker Punch is sort of like his baby. Right. I think I mentioned on that podcast that it's the only movie in his entire filmography that's genuinely original. Yes. Like, everything he does is usually based on a comic property or... Obviously, in the last uh, four or five movies he's done have all been superhero-related, like DC films. So this one that came out in 2011 uh, was, yeah, like written and directed by him entirely. It was an original idea, not based on any source of material or anything. Uh, and clearly, he 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 was given enough creative freedom from Warner Brothers to make this movie because prior to this, he had done 300 and, and Watchmen. Both were very profitable films for the studio. And they figured, sure, we'll let you have your little passion project thing. And uh, it, it it flopped box office-wise, it's fair to say. I think it probably broke, e- in terms of on paper, it looks like it broke even budget-wise to what it made in box office. But whenever you factor in marketing materials and other things, it, the film was definitely a commercial failure and was critically destroyed. And they had like 25% Rotten Tomatoes or something. Uh, not that Rotten Tomatoes is the be-all, end-all, but here's what most people use as the general metric nowadays. Yeah. To, to So, I mean, yeah. But yeah, not a genuinely like, I mean, there's a small cult following for the film and I'm not going to just take my time here to bag on it because I have something else I want to talk about tonight anyways, but I'll just keep this short and sweet. Um, pros for the movie, um, as with all Snyder movies, I mentioned this before, it's, it's it's great to look at visually. The scenes are amazing. A lot of great frame shots. Um, the opening is really strong, I thought, uh, for like the first five minutes or so. His openings are always good. All of his movies, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, that's sort of like his 
it's a trademark yeah i think right uh, after the podcast you showed me the beginning of the superman man of steel right and you're like look at this opening this opening's so good yeah his movies <laughs> usually start off strong and then they go downhill as soon as the character opens her mouth oh, let's put it that way geez. uh and this one was no exception now <laughs> uh no I, the writing is terrible in this film it's um the movie has a lot of problems uh the music was really good. I'll give the music choices uh, some some credit, especially because they didn't just go with like cliched musical choices like they could have for a lot of scenarios. And the casting in his films is always good. I thought that everybody in the film did a great job casting wise. Like, um, pretty sure you told how amazing Vanessa Hudgens was. Yeah, well, she was. I don't know Vanessa Hudgens can't act. She's a paper bag, in my opinion. But <laughs> neither can Efron. So High School Musical just fails all around. <gasps> don't be mean to High School Musical. Come on, that doesn't panned out as actors, but that's fine. It's just the way it is. They Texas both made boatloads of money, and they're fine. Uh, no, like, you know, you got a strong, you got, uh, highlight for me in the film, which is ironic because this movie is primarily female driven. The cast, mm-hmm. female actresses all did a great job. Like Emily Browning, Abby Cornish, Jamie Chung, Carly Gugino. I'm trying to think off the top of my head whether female actresses are missing. You already mentioned Hudgens. But for me, the, for me, the, the standout was one of the few male actors in the film. And it was Oscar Isaac who plays the, the orderly, the main orderly in the film. His name is Blue. But and then in in when when um, baby doll goes into her fantasies, the main character's name is baby doll. Uh, he she envisions him as like a mobster, sort of like almost like because okay, I should backtrack here a bit. Base premise of the film is main character named baby doll. Uh, she uh, her mother dies being in the film. That's where I said the opening is strong because the first time I mentioned so is all told with like no dialogue. It's all done through mu- the the music and just the way Zach shoots it. It's really good. So. Baby doll, uh, mother's her mother dies, uh, from you know like they don't specify what she was ill. Doctor just there's a doctor being in the movie she probably died from some disease. But um, well the movie takes place like the 50s or 60s I think 1950s okay. 60s so who knows what it was. But um, so she dies and uh, she's a younger sister as well. I don't think they ever mentioned the sister's name at the beginning. Yeah, there's no dialogue at the beginning of the film. But okay. uh, and the movie just shows the montage at the beginning of the mother dying and then there's like um, uh, her stepfather or whatever it looks like an older older gentleman and he uh, it's kind of implied I guess that they're wealthy because when she passes away it's implied this guy's going to get rich oh. and then he like he's going over the will and testament and reveals she left everything to her two daughters so he gets mad and he tries to go assault baby doll or her sister and long story short baby doll ends up trying to kill him but accidentally killing her sister oh. in the process so the stepfather has the idea to basically put her in an insane asylum oh. so he can claim the fortune for himself um and so yeah, so when she gets to this insane asylum, uh, yeah, she, it's 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 all run, it's all very gray and drab looking and just depressing. And but as soon as she kind of gets there, she envisions, uh, she envisions the other girls there, the other patients there as being like like the movie. Like she goes, they zoom in on her eyes, and all of a sudden it comes back into like a fantasy world. Like you can tell, you can tell right away. It's very clearly specified that most of what happens in the movie is a fantasy happening in her head. Because uh, everything turns very colorful, all of a sudden the girls are all wearing very skimpy, cla- <laughs> like, because the idea is that the guy running the, this, instead of now being an insane asylum, in her head she's envisioning this as being like a brothel run by a mobster. Oh boy! So her and the other girls there are all just like dancers and uh, yeah, putting on shows for guys and stuff, and uh, like it's all very PG thirteen. Okay. And that's something that I thought was interesting too, because apparently Snyder really wanted to make it R rated, but the studio wouldn't let him. So he had right. to touch because, of course, for marketing you know, purposes. Yeah, it wouldn't but, have sold better. But that, that's what kills me, though, is like watching this movie. I'm like, I do not understand how this movie at all appeals to a PG-13 demographic. Because mm-hmm. aside from the action scenes, like, yeah, I'm sure most teenagers would love the action scenes. It's all very color. Like most Snyder films, all colorful. There's a lot of action going on on screen. It's all nonsense. But and I can tell he definitely wanted to explore some darker themes. But obviously, he had to cut a lot out. 
I, I believe there was a obviously the Netflix version I watched was the PG thirteen version. I believe there was a director's cut version out there that I did like an extra twenty minutes or so. So I'm not sure how much the, different the that Snyder is. Cut before there was a Snyder cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, like I don't know. Uh, the movie, like I said, for me, uh, and I understand. I understand. Like the, the movie's not confusing at all. I was actually surprised. When I read some reviews how people were very confused about the plot. I thought it was pretty straightforward as to what was going on. Clearly, the whole movie, like eighty percent of the movie, is all in her head. Um, that's the idea. She has these fantastical action sequences. Like, you know, the movie's not taking itself seriously when literally the first action sequence, they plop her into like some feudal Japan setting where she meets a guy who gives her like a samurai sword and she fights like a, a 50 foot tall. Uh, it looks like it looks like a video game. And she fights a 50 foot tall, like samurai guy who just like basically kicks her through a door and then everything turns into like final F- or you know, you know what it is to me. You know what it reminded me to me in this reference. I'm not everybody may give this reference, but this felt to me like if Hideo, if Hideo Kojima was going to make a movie, that's how, that's how okay. Snyder made it. It was so over the top. You got, and I know your sister's alluded okay, to this but, before. No, uh, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Kojima is up his own butt when he makes up. Well, so is Snyder. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll, for sure. This was Snyder's about. original vision. That's where I mean. Snyder went to Snyder here. Okay. That's the problem. <laughs> he, he, he was unleashed and clearly Warner Brothers was like, nope, you're going back to doing, you're going to do superhero stuff from now on because okay. we need to control you because <laughs> oh. <laughs> your, your stuff is too out there. Uh, but uh, yeah, he obviously had fun making this movie, but uh it's it's just, it just it, I I mentioned these, this to you before off mic here when we were talking about this movie earlier and I said to you that I don't the problem I have with movies like this where everything's a fantasy sequence and there's is that and you know the characters obviously can't really die per se it's all nothing's real and there's no there's stakes no consequences there's no consequences I don't care what happens in these action sequences it all looks pretty but it doesn't mean anything and there's and I mean there's we've mentioned this before about Snyder but there's so much slow mo in this movie yeah. there's that one I know your sister mentioned me too there's one particular sequence where it's like two minutes of almost straight yeah. straight slow mo shots for two minutes in a row and I'm like this is just getting ridiculous I'm like <laughs> it, I don't know yeah. How you pad the runtime. I applaud Snyder for trying. He had a vision. He he got to make his movie. I don't think it's a it's not a no, I was gonna say it's not a bad movie, but I think it is a bad movie. <laughs> but in my opinion, I appreciate some things about it. Uh I would never watch it again. Uh it's just not for you. No. But I was told to watch it and I watched it and I can understand why some people like it. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen, obviously. Like it's it does it's competently made. Like there's nothing about it where I thought well although one thing I will say is that with Snyder, and I know this is all of his movies too, I, I feel like he's the kind of guy that doesn't like to do multiple takes on a scene. Oh. Like there's a lot of scenes that were where whereas everybody did a great job acting, there's a lot of scenes where I felt some of the delivery was off, or maybe it could have just been the writing. But uh-huh. I thought to myself, that scene probably could have used a couple more takes, but I feel like he just did one or two. He's like, ah, that's good enough, let's move on. Yeah. And he's not the kind of guy that's gonna do like fifty takes for a scene like a Scorsese okay. or a David Fincher or something like that, something crazy. Right. Yeah. I think he's just more about again, he's always about the visuals. He's about the presentation, mm-hmm. doesn't really focus on the small character things. So that's my gripe. Talked about this way more than I expected you. Now this is eating into my main topic, so let's just that's enough sucker punch. Uh, okay, now I'm ready for your. I don't. I don't think it's a rant. I. I don't. Why did you want to do this particular movie? Okay, so the main topic today, I'm focusing on a single movie for the next 20 minutes. Look at the timeline here. Maybe 20. I'm gonna try and fit this into 20 minutes here. Oh I could probably talk about it a lot longer, but I picked a movie that I want to talk about that I think is probably the most. The most is, is, a, is a, a broad statement, or it's a bold. bold. Uh, I was gonna say the most is a bold statement, but it's okay. one of the most, uh, in my opinion, underappreciated movies the last twenty years. Ooh. Um, and it's one that I would have no hesitation showing to people. And really, if, and you if, showed it to me, and I would like. And if sleep. they didn't like it, I would judge that person very much. Oh, well, I will not tell you my <laughs> thoughts on the five because, scenes. Because <laughs> yeah. YouTube. 
no, just because um, like I don't. Again, this is like the opposite of a Snyder thing. Whereas I don't think you have to find this movie entertaining necessarily. Mm-hmm. But if you were going to, if you had watched this movie and you were going to tell me I don't think it's well made or it's not well acted or I didn't like the music, I would just say, and then you have no taste at all. I'd say because this movie, in my opinion, is a perfect package. It has something of everything, and I think it, it's it's a it's a rare instance of a movie that I feel like is so slept on that no one ever talks about. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, oh, it has two things that I hate. It has Western <laughs> uh-huh. theme and it has Brad Pitt. Why do you hate Brad Pitt? I do not like Brad Pitt. It's not a reason why you hate Brad Pitt, I asked you. I don't like Brad Pitt. That's okay. Right, that's just... <laughs> Anyways, so getting into it here. And and, and, and my, when I mentioned the title here, the title might be problem number one with this film, is that most Very people long. most people write it off based on the title. So... 2007. Yes, came out in 2007, which is a great, which everybody knows was a great year for movies, and maybe that's part of the reason why this movie is so buried. I know there's so many like, good movies that year. You told me what year came out, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that year. We already uh, talked about the year. And I don't think, year. I don't think this movie, from what I remember, anyways, I don't think this movie had a ton of marketing behind it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it definitely got buried in in, in, the, in the avalanche of great movies that year. But this movie is called "The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford." That's the full title. Yeah. And the movie title tells you everything you need to know because it tells you what's, <laughs> tells you what's going to happen. It's, not, it's a spoiler right in the title. Uh, and it has a strong implication about the character who kills Jesse, calling him a coward, obviously. Now, to get it out of the way. So Brad Pitt plays the lead role of Jesse James. And uh, the other main actor in the film, Robert Ford, is played by Casey Affleck. Uh, now both actors did a tremendous job. Um Brad Pitt, surprisingly, was not nominated for any awards, which I think was a huge snub. But Casey Affleck did get recognized by the Academy for Best Supporting Actor. Nominated. He didn't win. And also nominated was Cinematography, which I'm going to mention the name Roger Deakins for like probably the 10th time during this podcast series. Roger Deakins is is the god of cinematography, right? (laughs) Like, like, literally, look at this. In 2007, he did this movie and No Country for Old Men. He did those two movies in the same movie and he didn't get nominated for either. Crime. That's crazy. That crime. is crazy. And like I said, we all know. I mentioned he's won his last two back to back. Now he won last or not last year. Sorry, he won in 2019 for 1917, mm. and he won before that with Blade Runner 2049. So the both, game, beautiful. both beautiful films. Yeah. Game, but he got snubbed a lot in the mid to. to it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio thing, right? Though. Right. He eventually wins. So, but there's this, a couple of particular shots of film that are so amazingly shot. Like even when you're watching it, like I can't imagine what this movie would look like on a 4K. Like there's no oh, version of that version? yet. I think I've only ever watched it on DVD, to be honest. But even yeah. on like a DVD format, there's shots that sound like amazing, and it has to do with just his use of framing and the lighting and and the, the, the lens, even the lenses he uses. Like, uh, but there's one particular scene where there's a train robbery and it's shot at night, and um, so the 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 basically this gang Jesse's gang is planning to rob this train, so they set up a little roadblock on the train tracks there, and they're hiding in the woods. And um, just the way that the train is coming down the tracks, it's like I said, it's at night. There's it's all natural lighting. There's no huge studio lights going on here or anything, right? But so all you see, the trees hit, are giving off light. Like the the lights coming by from the train, because obviously it's going by at night. The lights on the train shining off the trees and just reflecting off the face. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing these white like uh, white just bag masks over their faces, like okay. nothing fancy, right? Just the way. And the scene was so well shot that. Uh, ironically enough, uh, a couple years ago when when Red Dead Redemption Two came out, mm-hmm. the video uh, Rockstar specifically as an homage, they they almost shot it scene for scene in the video really? game in a cutscene, which was amazing. Huh. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, the, the visuals in this film were off the charts. Even just like shots of the of the wilderness and like when Jesse is just riding his horse with Bob or whatever. By the way, I'm going to mention Robert Ford as Bob from now on because just that's saves saves. Well, that's what they call him, and it saves time on me talking. So. Um, <laughs> It's Casey Affleck is Bob. Keep that in mind. So, uh, movie basically starts out with 
Bob and his brother Charlie are trying to get into the Jesse James gang. They're just, at this point, they're small-town criminals. They're nothing, they haven't killed anybody or anything like that, but they just want to be part of, you know, at this point, in, I think, again, this takes place in, like, 18, 18 somewhere between 1850s, 1870s. I don't remember the exact time period, but uh, Jesse James was obviously, like, revered by this. Everybody knew who he was. He was a famous outlaw. Public loved him because he didn't, like, he didn't target civilians. He robbed trains and banks and stuff. And he was sort of seen as, like, a Robin Hood-type character. Like, he would rob from the rich, give to the poor. Yep. Although reports, or back then reports, would kind of indicate he didn't really give to the poor. Yep. I think that was just something that was kind of spread through public uh, lore. But he wasn't really that type of person. But he was just a charming outlaw that people loved him. So, uh, so Bob and his brother, Charlie, they try and get into the gang. And they do, successfully. I, I uh, the movie, I think, kind of glosses over how they get in. They just sort of, they must know somebody in the gang and they sort of just tag along on this robbery mission. This movie's already long enough already, so we don't need Yeah, like this is a, it's, I think it's two and a half hours, the movie runtime. The director originally wanted it to be over three hours, but the studio did make him cut it down a bit. And sadly, there is no director's cut out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious what kind of footage is left on the on the cutting room floor there. But what is there for the two and a half hours is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, basically, uh, after the robbery, uh, uh, Bob and Charlie, they start spending more time with Jesse, Bob especially. Like Bob, at this point, in this film, Bob is, is a 20-year-old, uh, so he's obviously a young man um, who is... And, and they make they make a point of this several times throughout the film. Bob is the youngest brother in his family, youngest of five sons. Okay. And he sees a lot of parallels in himself with Jesse because like Jesse is the youngest of three brothers. Uh, Jesse obviously is a leader of his gang, even though he's the youngest, right? And Bob, who's always they they mentioned during the film that Bob was always like bullied and picked on, and his brothers always never treated him well when he was younger, and and so he kind of he always thought he respected Jesse because Jesse's obviously the youngest of his family, but he's also so much more powerful and respected, right? Uh, and also there's other similarities too, like Jesse. They mentioned Jesse's father was a pastor at church. Bob's father was also a pastor at church. So Bob has this whole scene where there's like a dinner with him and Jesse and, and Charlie, and Charlie, and Bob just rattles off all these similarities between him and Jesse. And and you can tell Jesse's looking like he knows his kid idolizes him. I think at this point in the film, Jesse's like in his early thirties, so he's, he's older than Bob. Out. Yeah, but um, yeah. So Jesse, he likes Bob. Obviously, he sees him as like a young, naive kind of guy that he can kind of maybe groom to being a good part of his gang. Mm. Whereas Charlie's obviously the older brother, a bit more experienced. But um, well, first of all, I'll just say. Yeah, Brad Pitt, one of Brad Pitt's best performances, one of his most underrated performances, in my opinion. No one ever talks about this film when you talk about Brad Pitt. They'll talk about, like, you know, um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like the Oceans movies he mm, did. Uh, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, like Troy, if you want, like, a historical mm, yeah. action film. Um, you know, recently stuff like uh, what, he, what he did, World War Z. Um, he's done a bunch of movies lately. I'm trying to think of huge roles that have stood out. He just, he's more marketed by name nowadays than it's the roles themselves. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he doesn't usually take on biographical roles. He's usually playing original characters or just like that's true. I and mean, he gets by in his charm. Mm-hmm. At least early in his career, he was he was known as a charming actor, and then eventually people were like, okay, he's got a lot of talent, right? And but what I think was impressive about this film is that it's the first time you really see him be menacing. You don't see that a lot of him in, in films. Like in this film, he's, there's a lot of scenes where he's quietly just staring at people and judging them in the movie. He doesn't say oh, anything. Okay. Like it's scenes then where he's a look. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's one one of the biggest parts early on in the film that showcases Jesse's paranoia, which happens throughout the film and gets worse and worse, is that Jesse knows that maybe some people in his gang are disillusioned by his leadership and you know, there's always been a reward out for Jesse by the authorities, mm-hmm. but no one ever really took it seriously because like I said, like police and, and the authorities were going to go out of their way to try and arrest Jesse because... He was loud and you don't want yeah. to piss the people off. So, but Jesse had always thought somebody in his gang might try and turn him in for the reward money. Mm. 
so basically, Jesse Jesse is shown as being very smart throughout the film, and he obviously has probably ears everywhere. He knows what's going on, even if they, people think that he doesn't. But at one point, he he catches wind of some people in his gang that might be plotting against him. So he goes to one guy's house, and he's sort of like he just they have this quiet, menacing conversation where Jesse just like implies things that he knows about this guy, and this guy is very fidgety and like you can just tell right away this guy's gonna like he doesn't he doesn't have a good poker face at all. Okay, he's clearly just gonna blow the whole thing to Jesse and, and reveal it. So. Jesse, without the guy implicitly saying it, Jesse just kind of like stares at this conversation and just knows that the guy's in on it. So Jesse takes the guy out on like a little horse ride out at night. He's like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go, uh, <laughs> go to the farm. Yeah, we're going to go visit so and so. And then obviously, like Jesse's like, you ride on ahead. And then Jesse falls behind the guy. And the look on the, the actor's, the actor's name who gets killed in the scene, his actor's name is Garrett Dillahunt. He's in a lot of, he's a character actor. He's in a lot of okay. good films. He's not someone like an A list or anything, but. He does such a good job in the scene of when he's riding on this horse. And again, beautifully shot at night. The scene where all you're seeing is the darkness. You can't even, like when Jesse falls back into the dark in the woods, you can't see him. But okay. you just hear the horse clopping back there. And this guy knows he's going to die any yeah. second. And he just sort of like stands there. He's like, looks up at the sky. He's just like, closes his eyes. He's waiting. He's waiting. And then eventually you hear the gunshot. Yeah. And Jesse just blows him away. Right. But, um, but yeah. And then throughout the film, like I said, uh, Bob and Charlie spend a lot more time with Jesse, especially Bob. And but Jesse uh, is getting more and more paranoid as the film goes on, uh, even with Bob and Charlie, who he's always trusted, but he's starting to suspect that maybe even they might turn on him. So the big climax, not not big climax, I should say, because it, there's still a lot of movie left. But let's just say with like 40 minutes to go in the film is when the title happens, when Jesse gets <laughs> killed. And the way he gets killed, too, is so uh, unceremonious what you'd expect from and this is where probably the movie fails. Is when people go into this movie, they're they're, they're going to expect to see big gun, sh- yeah. like, a lot of shootouts, yeah. and you know it's Jesse James, right? Like it's there's going to be some good action in this film. There's really not much shooting at all in this film, and the way Jesse is killed is literally uh, um, he's having a conversation with Bob and Charlie, and Bob and Charlie realize that some of the members of the gang that were conspiring against uh, against Jesse have either all been killed or captured by the police. So then Bob and Charlie, even though they weren't in on it, they think Jesse's going to turn on them. So at one point, <sighs> Jesse. Um, you know they're in a house. They're about to leave on their next robbery job, and Jesse takes off his gun. He always he's always wearing his guns around his around his waist like, throughout okay. the whole film. They show that, right? So he takes off his guns and he puts them down on a on a you know a chair or a couch or something somewhere, and and um he just he he notices that he just he turns he turns towards uh, like a fireplace in the in the main room, and he notices there's a picture of like a horse, cowboy and a horse hanging above the fireplace, and he just says like you know don't that picture look dusty? And then he goes over, he grabs a chair, and he goes over to clean off the pit the picture right yeah. at this point music kicks in and you know something's gonna happen like one of those beautiful scores in the film and slowly over the next two minutes y- you know you realize that like bob's gonna shoot him um and because charlie even kind of like hints that i'm like you know we gotta take our chance now while he's got his back turned right even though it's the cowardly thing to do is the title would imply to shoot him in the back i mean you're not gonna win in a draw against jesse james head to head right so it's probably your only chance so jesse gets up on the chair Starts us off the picture, and then he looks in the reflection of the picture, and he sees Bob aim, aiming the gun at him. And Jesse doesn't react at all. He just and this is one of the best, not best subtle acting moments of the movie for Pitt. But he, look in his eyes; he kind of like looks down, and just accepts it. He knows he's gonna get shot, right? And it's pretty it, for the, one of the few scenes of violence in the film. It's pretty violent. He gets shot in the back of the head, and he kind of like slams his head off the picture, and then falls off the chair, like off the fireplace, and makes a whole bunch of noise, Ooh. right? Like it's a very for for a movie that doesn't have a lot of that. It's a very visceral shot. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Bob and his brother quickly, you know, hightail it out of there. Because yeah. <laughs> Bob, I mean, Jesse did have a family too. That was implied. It was shown through oh, the film quite a bit. Okay. They were staying at the house of Jesse's family. So he had a wife and two kids, I think. Okay. Um, so Bob and his brother basically uh, hightail it to the uh, nearest town where the uh, 
they sent off a telegram basically saying like, oh, I, you know, I killed Jesse James and this is the authority so I can get the reward money or whatever, right? And, or get Bob, because Bob wasn't obviously thinking about the reward money, but he knew like they're probably going to need the money to go, yeah, to go on the lam from any repercussions mm. here, whether it's from Jesse's gang or anybody else that might want to harm them, right? So throughout the last half hour of the film is where, like the film is, even though obviously Jesse James is the main character in the film, you would argue that the film focuses way more on Bob than it does Jesse. Like Bob is in, I'd say like 90% of the movie. There's very few scenes where Bob isn't in. Okay. Like he's always with Jesse. There's a couple scenes where Jesse isn't with Bob, but for the most part, Bob's in most of the films. The film really is about him, especially the last half hour, which obviously after this point, Jesse's dead. So, but the film focuses on Bob actually having regret for what he did because obviously he idolized Jesse, even though he was afraid of him towards the end of the film, afraid of what he might do to him. Um, but also too, because he realized that everybody in everybody in the general public hated Bob now because they revered Jesse so much. Mm-hmm. And of course, as the title implied, they all thought Bob was a coward for shooting him in the back, you know, shooting an unarmed man basically in the back. Yeah. Um, and there's there's you know there's death threats on Bob. He gets letters all the time. He just sort of at some point he starts ignoring them because he gets so many of them. It doesn't matter anymore. And uh, the way the movie ends is actually really it's one of my favorite endings ever, and especially in the last twenty years. The movie just ends with this like five I'd say four minute scene where it's like it just shows Bob who this is like a decade after Jesse's been dead now and Bob is just like oh he owns a bar somewhere in some you know city in the or some little t- town in the US well whatever mountain town let's call it because they imply there's so basically Bob owns this little bar um and they meant and now I should also mention too at this point that there is narration used in the movie mm. not often but when it's used it's very well done I usually hate narration in film but they do a really good job of it in this movie because they don't just explain the things that you're seeing on camera which is what most narration does which is a terrible thing they're explaining like things that already have happened or are about to happen you know what i mean it's foreshadowing so at this point they basically mentioned that like this guy his name, his name was like edward o'kelly he just he came up he knew where obviously everybody knew where bob was it wasn't a secret like bob owned a bar everybody knew where bob was so this guy came up with the uh, intention of killing bob mm-hmm because, A, he just wanted to be famous. He wanted to be the guy who okay. killed Robert Ford because he was a coward who killed Jesse James, etc. So this guy, Ludus, comes up with a plan to show up with a shotgun and kill Bob. And the movie ends with just that. It ends with Bob just like uh, the narration mentions, like, you know, whereas when Jesse died, there was a huge thing about it, right? Like, obviously, there was a huge funeral and, and you know, people bought, like, trading cards with Jesse's picture on them. And there oh. was, like, Bob, obviously, even after, after Jesse died, his legend became even more famous, right? Because of, you know how young he died in his 30s mm-hmm. and the way he died. So, whereas, and the, the, the narration mentions that when Bob dies, there's not going to be any eulogies. No one's going to care. Like, he's just a nobody, right? His life didn't, mention, didn't amount to anything. Mm-hmm. And basically, this guy just storms into the bar. He says, hello, Bob. And Bob turns around and then the narration, but the movie just ends with Bob turning around and then the kind of like freeze frames on Bob's face. And the narration mentions like uh, the shotgun went off uh, you know, so and so, like the bartender girl screamed, and then uh, Bob hit the floor, and his eyes closed before he could find the right words. That kind of thing, right? So it just ends like unceremoniously, cut the black, can't credits roll. I love the ending because it just didn't need to go any farther than that. I think the ending just sums up the film so well. Um, and it's it's kind of a movie that I can go back to. I can watch it like maybe once a year and always just find something else I really appreciate about the film. Um, mm. I think I think they, someone said that it actually it made twice as much money in like home rentals and Blu-ray purchases than it did in the box office run. Yeah. So you can tell that it got the cult following behind it. And um, But people still say it's probably going to be one of the most underappreciated films of it's the 21st century. When it came out. Right. 
Because honestly, it's it's funny we mentioned now that again about 2007 being so good. Just the other day, I mentioned you that I was watching uh, on Netflix. I was watching 310 to Yuma. Yeah, I could hear it. That's how I knew. Right. You didn't tell me. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that movie too. Now that also came out in 2007. Funny Did enough, it really. Yeah. Oh, um, and that one was much more popular box office wise. And I imagine because a because of the star power. I mean, you had Russell Crowe and Christian yeah. Bale in lead roles compared to Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Obviously, those two it's probably good, dropped but not in more. As good. But 310 to Yuma was definitely much more of a. Like I, I would call it like a new, new. It felt like a newer western because a lot mm-hmm. more emphasis on the action, and it was obviously like under two hours. And like there was lots of yeah, a huge shootout at the end, that kind of thing. It was great. Three hundred was a great film, but comparing the two is very different because obviously one is uh, a very straightforward film with like no twists or anything. Although very well, I love three. I'm not trying to say three hundred is a bad film at all. I love it, but it's very different compared to the Assassin of Justice James, which is definitely a character study. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it was intended all along. I mean, it was written. I haven't even mentioned so far. It was written and directed by his name's Andrew Dominic, and he's. I believe he was a Australian-born director, and uh, he has actually done a lot of films ever since that one came out. He did a couple here and there. Uh, he's the other kind of guy that does like a couple movies every or a movie every couple of years. You know what I mean? He picks his projects very carefully. He did do another one with Brad Pitt that came out I think six or seven years ago. That was really good. Um, but you can tell that again. Like I mentioned this before, I always like when. Actually, it's funny that I mentioned it after we just talked about Sucker Punch, but I was going to say when a writer, when the writer and director are the same person, usually that makes for a very cohesive vision. And you should love Zack Snyder. Well, no, we already mentioned that Sucker Punch was Zack Snyder's baby, but that doesn't make, but that that's the difference between Zack Snyder and a, and a competent director. <laughs> By competent, I mean, that's harsh. That's harsh. He's oh not a terrible director. He just doesn't understand narrative and character building in my opinion and that's fine every director is different you know but Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford gets that <laughs> it's a slow film for sure I can see why people may fall asleep during it why they may be bored during some parts of it but I encourage everybody to at least give it a chance try and watch it through in one sitting because I really think it's kind of film that you can't really break up into two parts kind of thing um but I definitely, I, and the problem is, unfortunately, it's not on Netflix right now. I don't mm. think it's on Amazon Prime either. So you have a hard time finding it on a streaming service. But, um, you know, obviously, if you have a, you could buy the Blu-ray on Amazon, I'm sure. Uh, uh, rent it. If you have a video store near you, still, you can buy rent it. On, I have it on, I still have it on DVD. I don't even think I own it on Blu-ray. I think I have it on DVD. Um, I would love to watch it in a, if ever, 4K version ever came out. But, um yeah, like I said, it's um I can make a list probably, and one day I will make a list of all the movies in 2007. It'll probably be a list that's like at least 20 long. That's how good that year was. And off the top of my head, if I was gonna say where does this fit into 2007, it'd probably be my top five. Um, yeah, maybe one day I'll, I'll when I when we talk about 07, I'll throw yeah. a few more minutes in of analysis on this one here. I think I got the point across of why I like it so much and and why it's a uh, a very compelling film in my opinion. So that's my piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and your westerns, man. Me snore. It's a dying genre, it and is. and that's why it's rare to see. I mean, again, we just talked about two westerns coming out in the same year yeah. back to back. Uh, and I'd say in the last decade, there's been maybe what five westerns off the top of my head that I could name that I thought were, were well done. Mm. There's a lot of like smaller westerns that pop up on Netflix, like these small budget ones. But I, I don't know. I, it is a dying breed for sure. For sure, and I understand why. I don't want I don't want the genre to be oversaturated either. Um, it's the Western boom. 
it, it is also one more thing I'll mention about this movie is that it, it's it's it was like I said, it was critically loved um, and it's been widely no, widely applauded by historians as being one of the most accurate depictions of Jesse James and Robert Ford ever caught on camera because there's been a ton of films and TV shows about Jesse James oh. going back to the and, and and funny enough I think this is ironic is that this movie came out in 2007 and no one has tried to do a Jesse James movie since I think that I think that speaks to the, how well they made this film yeah. is that no one can top it and they know that hmm. so yeah I. I think it's great. That's why we had to have two Steve Jobs films in like two years <laughs> because it wasn't good enough the first time. Yeah. If uh, if you've watched this movie and want to let us know your experience with it, or if you haven't and you will now, and uh, Tyler wins this war, you can let us know. I'll, I'll pose a secondary question here. If you do or don't like Brad Pitt, tell me why. Because <laughs> Sarah won't give me an answer, apparently, other than just saying he's Brad Pitt. <laughs> You know, one thing I think is funny about this movie is that Brad Pitt is, is this is a well-known thing. It's like a meme almost at this point. Okay. It's well-known that he eats in every movie. He oh, loves eating right. in films, right? It's like yes. just, it's just like part of his thing. People joke it's like part of his contract. Yeah. But in this movie, honestly, in the Association of Jesse James, I think maybe he eats like once. Like it, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's his quota. Right. Like it, it's it's definitely, and I, you can tell he really took this, this role to heart. Like he was a producer on it. Um and yeah, like I said, he just he did an amazing job in the role. It's it's so. I think the casting was inspired too because Jesse James is seen as this larger than life character, right? I think Brad Pitt mm-hmm. had that. Jesse, right. yeah, Jesse James. I just don't see Brad Pitt as a larger than life. Character. I think he is. Brad Pitt is is always he's just a name. People know his name. I mean, as an actor, everybody yeah. knows who Brad Pitt is. He's iconic, right? I think in Hollywood acting and and then you look at the same thing where Casey Affleck at the time when he was acting, he was unknown because he was I mean, he was always in the shadow of his brother, of course. Ben Affleck, right? So uh, I think that's just inspiring casting when you consider the characterization too, right? It's exactly how Casey Affleck is probably how exactly how he sees himself in the film Robert Ford and Brad Pitt playing this larger than life character, um, but getting to showcase more of his acting talent, in my opinion. So, so if you want to uh, <laughs> you want to chat more about this lovely western the email is when opposites react at gmail.com so as always thanks everybody for listening we appreciate it and uh we appreciate your, your email questions as well um we'll be back next week same time and i don't have a topic in mind right now but i think it's gonna be sports related i'm thinking more baseball not necessarily Ooh. i won't spoil other than that yeah no teaser for next week okay <laughs> so stay safe with everybody and we'll be back same time next week boys bye